on the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm at the Banking Circle offices joined by a panel of interesting guests. Um, we're here to discuss uh, another intriguing topic, how best to synergize cloud and DevOps. And before we delve deep into the topic, just going to work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and also some of your interests outside of the workplace too. So Juan, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Juan. I'm Spanish, but I've been living in Denmark for a uh, over six years now. Uh, I'm working here in, in Banking Circle uh, as a uh, tech lead in uh, DevOps or platform engineering. Uh, yeah, I really like what I do here, but uh, I also do stuff outside of work. I spend quite a lot of time doing um, yeah improv comedy. I perform regularly at a local theater here in Copenhagen. And uh, yeah, that's also a lot of fun. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing the comedy for? Um, so I started just before COVID, but then I stopped for a couple of years and since summer 2021, quite intensely. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, um, that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. And over to you, Laos. Yeah. Cool. Can you match that? <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I'm Laos. I'm the CTO in Hey Neighbor. It's a small startup that tries to get the neighbors to uh, talk more to each other. And besides that, then I do some consultancy on, on DevOps stuff mostly. Um, and besides that, I am doing a lot of American coaching, a lot of American football, and we just won the national championship here a few months ago. Wow! Congratulations! Congratulations! Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a. Another interesting one. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean pressure's on now, Casper. What have you got yeah. for us? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's not that good. But yeah, I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try to do some. Yeah, yeah. What? I'm Casper. What? I'm the I'm the tech lead. Uh, uh, both uh, both doing uh, all the development and uh, and also the the planning of of stuff at Updo, which is a small startup where we where we more or less build plugins for the for the HubSpot uh, platform. Yeah, specific use cases. Yeah. So um, so trying to. To take some of the feature load out and then build some some interesting stuff for the customers that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, and outside of weird, yeah, I just had a I just had a daughter like three months ago. So at this moment, yeah, I don't have any much uh, any <laughs> things I'm doing outside of work. Yeah, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Well, that's that's a a very wholesome introduction there, Casper. <laughs> Thanks for that. Hi everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, a Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Um, so now now that we've introduced everybody, I think it's, it's a good idea to move on to the topic that's in focus today. Um, everybody on the panel here has a question or a statement surrounding the cloud and DevOps um, and the synergy between the both. So as usual, make our way around the room. Um, each of you will pose your question or statement and give some reasons behind it. So let's start with Laos. What have yeah. you got for us? Well, I think uh, the most basic thing would be to have a talk about what is cloud at all. Is it just uh, some server somewhere else or is it actually the technology enabling it to be useful? That's a very broad and interesting that, that's question. A, that's <laughs> an interesting question, yeah. 
it's yeah. it's just so we know what we're talking about when we talk about yeah. cloud. Um, yeah, well, I'll say that from 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 my side of the table, the cloud is very much a managed service, a managed service thing. Yeah, so uh, so definitely that's where I'm coming from. I've seen it a lot through uh, through through. Um, uh, yeah, so going from the more physical servers to moving it into the cloud and having all of that kind of scrambled away, which has been uh, which has been very nice. Uh, for getting things up to speed. So, for, so from my point of view, I see a lot of uh, the cloud is definitely for me a lot of uh, a lot of all the stuff that we don't have to deal with, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, to me, like when, although technically you could define cloud as any sort of server that you're using, right? It could also be like your own private cloud running yeah. a Raspberry Pi. When I think about cloud, I tend to think about public clouds and, and mostly about, of course, the three main players there, those being AWS, uh, Azure, and um, and Google Cloud, right? Um, and in that sense, I also tend to think about the fact that what you can get from them is, is a series of like, not only VMs, which also, but also like these managed services, right? Like these platforms that abstract away a bit uh, a bit more of, of what you would have to do otherwise. Um, and then when I think of cloud, like my mind also goes a bit to like thinking cloud native and then everything that comes with like a different way of working, right? So not only putting the same stuff somewhere else, but also architecting it in a different way because you're using some of these possibilities that you get from a, from a vendor um, or from generally any, anybody else giving you these, these servers or these capabilities. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. Um, for me, cloud is mostly the, the the technology you have to enable that you can just start up resources or close them down and all of that. Mm-hmm. Where the servers are, if it's in your own basement or somewhere else, doesn't really matter. It's kind of boring. Um, but yeah, it's, it's mostly. But I think most people they actually think that when you talk cloud, it's like oh, you have something with with AWS or, or Azure or something. Um, but when it's a bit more technical, it's actually the technology behind it that that's interesting to talk about. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, right? Like virtualization has been there for a while, and then and then servers, like they could be your own. But I think that some of the advantages that we get when we talk about cloud, right? Those being like easy prototyping or like yeah. pay as you go, right? All of these is very much associated with cloud, and that obviously you get once that you rent the cloud from someone yeah. else, right? If you buy it, like then sure, you might still be following the same patterns in the way that you interact with it. But I think it's something a bit different. Um, well, still cloud, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And is there anything else you'd like to, you know, add on that? Um, no, I pretty much agree. But yeah. I think we could just talk about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but still keeping that same subject, yeah, how, how are you thinking in terms of, I don't know what your background is, but it would be interesting to hear a little bit about how you're thinking about this whole, yeah, more and more going uh, pay as you go. Uh, what can you say? This kind of, this kind of, um, this kind of serverless way of thinking about things. How are, how are things being, uh, um, how are the, the developer mindset being shifted between, between, uh, what can you say? The old way of thinking in virtualization, and then uh, maybe a new one where everything lives somewhere from the beginning. Cool. Yeah, I can start. Yeah. Um, I don't really buy into the whole talk of serverless because they're not serverless. Somewhere down, deep down, there will will be a server, and usually it's just some kind of Docker container running it. But I like the idea of serverless, um, and I think that the big thing, at least for me, is. The, the flexibility you get that if you have, if you want to try something out, right now you can just easily start out a whole new environment 
Uh, on a bunch of new servers, and you could just close them afterwards, and it would not have cost you that much. When the old days, you would actually have to go down in the server room. You need to find a server to do this on, and you need to install it and all of these things. It's not something that you just do. Um, so I think the really, really cool thing about cloud is that basically right now we can just start thing up. We had, and I think it was a year ago, our Kubernetes cluster, it went down for, for whatever reason. It was a vendor problem. And instead of waiting for them to fix it, I just started up a new one, and we just ran on that, and I really didn't care what the problem was with the old one. I think that's that's the, the really cool thing with, with cloud and the way it really empowers, and also that everything has to be scripted, or you can script stuff, mm -hmm. um, so you can reproduce stuff. The downside that I'm mostly worried about is, is mostly with the vendor lock-in, and that's especially when we start talking about serverless. I mean, if... if if you start using, uh, I don't know, Asus, whatever they, they call it, um, you suddenly you're locked into their way of doing it. And if they make changes, you just have to, you, you're kind of forced to adapt. And I think that is, is really um, a dangerous path to go on. At least you need to be aware, really aware of it. Yeah. Um, and often you don't really need to do that. I mean, if you just have something running in a Docker container, it, it's mostly looking from the outside. It, it's mostly the same anyway. I mean, if you have a server up that runs something, if you have a Kubernetes cluster, who cares if it's the the image is actually hosted in a in a serverless uh, function thingy or it's actually just running inside a, a course, Kubernetes yeah. cluster? Yeah, of course. If you're thinking it like that way, yeah, of course, I totally agree with you like that. But when you go for more, what can you say, like uh, like real serverless in in a way where you where you don't even have a container, right? You just have everything just running there from scale that can scale from zero to infinity and down to zero again, right? Then, then of course, there's more vendor lock-in because you have to utilize whatever that's, that gives you on the table, but it also gives you a lot of flexibility um, around uh, being able to really, to really spit out things that can just almost from development side mm. to production uh, almost working, you know, like it should be from the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that serverless, like, of course, there's a server behind it. Yeah, Things yeah. need to run somewhere, but serverless is or should be when that is not your problem. Hmm. When you, you don't need to be concerned about the server, right? You just put your things there, they run. Um, and of course, that works in a limited set of situations because the moment that you need to interact with some other infrastructure that you have somewhere, the moment that you need to put um, a state somewhere in, in whatever way, right? Then you start plumbing things. And then actually the fact that something is serverless and the fact that you're using a closed platform because then you have bought into one of these vendors yeah. might actually complicate things. And maybe not so much to begin with because sure, you can still connect to whatever else you have. But as you grow, then you realize you're inside that uh, that vendor uh, locking, right? Um yeah, I think that's a really good point that the idea yeah. of serverless is really beautiful and it's kind of what we do with Docker anyway. Um, but suddenly you just start to become really confined and you can't really do anything about it because you're locked in. Um, yeah, and then usually if we talk about the three major players, they are really, really expensive, especially when they use the services that, that somebody else doesn't really have where you just can't. I mean, use a managed MySQL server. It's, it's perfect. It's beautiful. There's a lot of stuff I don't need to worry about. But I can also just replace it. I mean, if, if I don't like what they're doing, if I can't get the right, right version or I need some plugin or whatever, I can just throw up one in, in, in like really fast. So it's not an issue. But it depends. I, I would argue that isn't like that also depends on the capabilities that you have on the team and the, yeah. the profiles that you have there, right? Like I'm sure if you have a, a person or a team, also depending on the size of the company, that can handle the installation of SQL themselves, that can administer that database that can also ensure that they can 
you know, fix it when things go wrong at two in the morning. And, and this, of course, also depends a bit on the, on the industry that, that you play in, right? Mm-hmm. If you have all of that, then sure, you don't need to buy it from a vendor. You can do it yourself. But if you don't, or if you would like to get started without having to set all of that up, then the fact that the cloud gives it to you as a service, right? It does simplify things and it does give you the flexibility of having a production ready database in this case, could also be any other infrastructure without having to spend all of that, right? Problem is when you scale, when you start small, then you take the easy solution, then you become bigger and you're like, okay, this doesn't fly anymore because it is too expensive, because it is too constraining, Mm -hmm. because now we need to do something custom to be compliant and we cannot really do it through that. There you run into problems. But to begin with, Mm. even when it might be expensive, it can make sense. I completely agree. Um, I'm just used to being also being the opposite. So for me, installing a, a, a whatever is, is just something. Um, I definitely agree with that, especially with the talk also about pricing on, on cloud. When you're small, it makes a lot of sense to use these uh, services, even though they're, they're fairly expensive compared to the others. Because and also the price usually of hosting is not that important. Uh, but as you grow, of course, you would. There's this. Uh, I don't know if you if you read the whole um, Heinemeier thing with the uh, Sigma Thirty Seven. They 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 yeah. just cut. They saved so much money on leaving ABS. Um, but that's they also gained. That's also part of his business case. And he's pretty clear about it that they actually got so large that it made a lot of sense to do it. Yeah. But I completely agree with you. Could do stuff easily without a lot of knowledge. Um, but you also just when you do that, you need to be aware of the risk. When you have a serious problem with with the MySQL server and, and you have nobody, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you you just need to be aware that this that you have some gaps. But you're sure, yeah, get and, off the and Casper, Casper, yeah. you, you're also from a a, a background that's um, you know quite a relatively small business as well at the minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Similar well, similar well, situation is, to to uh, Love said. Why uh, why we have settled on on actually going that route uh, to begin with because we have been able to to utilize uh, to utilize a, a, a very few resources to get a lot of stuff into actually production and start you know getting some revenue on stuff that maybe would have taken a few a few more specialties a few more special specialized people on board just to just to even get it up and running in a way we could have it in a production environment right. So actually, a lot of uh, I totally agree with, with what you're saying, and from our our side, it really made sense for us to just try and dig down and see how far we can get in the beginning with all of this, um, with all of this, uh, what can you say, managed uh, managed uh, services, and see how far we can get from to a revenue standpoint, right? In terms of uh, in terms of in terms of when when the cost then uh, starts to 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 really be something to think about. But from from a really from a really start small perspective, it's gonna be couple of years before we are gonna hit any any of those kind of uh, kind of troubles right for for what we're doing that also depends on the on the case and the industry and stuff like that but for what we're doing which is which is uh, which is uh, some small independent uh, plugins and, and products right you we need more or less those to have like a, a one-off use case and to be reliant and work and then they can actually more or less uh, run by themselves we don't need to introduce Hell of a lot of features for for each and every one. We don't have that big of an overhead in terms of that. So that's more or less for us a, um, a way to get to get more small products into a production environment easily or relatively easily. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? No, no. That that makes all the sense. And and I mean, for small environments, you get a lot in in, in that sense. Um, 
I think the issue is that at some point, right, also as you grow, and, and again, nothing wrong with starting with that and then transition into something else once that you hit the problems, right? There's no need to solve them before before they yeah, appear. Exactly. Um, yeah. But but there is a point where like suddenly you become an expert in cloud, like that yeah. cloud being Azure AWS, right? Which is a bit counterintuitive. <laughs> the promise to begin with, right, is the one that we are describing here. It's easier. So you don't need to know, right? They are abstracting things. Then it's serverless or it's a, a database as a service. You don't need to know about databases. You don't need to know about how to administer the server because you just get it from the cloud. Now, as you grow, you still need specialized profiles to manage all of that. So suddenly you have the guy that is an expert in Azure or the team that is an expert in Azure or AWS or whatever it is. And then they are configuring all of these things in Azure themselves. And they are also upskilling and learning about how to do these things in a particular cloud. So then it's like, and I think that this is also one of the points that uh, that David Heinemeyer was making. It's like, okay, we, if we have a team that is going to manage those resources, or when you get to that size where you then have the team or teams that manage those resources, then you might as well do the thing from scratch, right? Yes. Or using open source, or not necessarily open source, but like products you will install yourself rather than getting them as a service because you still have a team that is going to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Then, then of course you have a lot of cost overhead if you both if you don't get get that to what can you say from the from the service, and then you have to kind of rank people to also manage the service that the managed service is running yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's a really good point in in watching how much money you're using and exactly talking about in being become an expert in Asia because you can really become an expert in Asia, but for the for the same time investment or effort, you can also learn how to do this stuff. In, in like a non-Asia way, like in a generic with open source tool. And I think that's the biggest trap with a lot of, of using these cloud things, these things that suddenly you learn exactly how they do it. You, you learn how a Kubernetes cluster works in, in Asia, which is more or less same, same, but still a bit different. And you could actually spend the same time learning how to, uh, how actually to, I won't say set it up from the beginning, but at least running it in, in a more generic way. And, and you have a lot of these things. It's also go with, with some of the services that you use something to abstract something away. But the time you, uh, it, it, this is going to be more code wise. There's a lot of people that likes to use some data, database abstractions layer. So they don't have to write SQL. And, and what happens at some point is that they have to really understand how that layer works. Uh, and it would have been just an easy to 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 do write it in hand. And often you see when you see the code, it actually looks like SQL is just wrapped in some kind of function. And that's kind of then do it in SQL if you can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. I think it's good to see from from my point of view here the the different viewpoints you guys are coming from with with different sizes of businesses and different, you know, backgrounds. It's really cool to hear those different perspectives and, and also the agreements that you guys are, are coming to as well. Um, just on that, what, what have you got for us, Juan? Um, so, I mean, we've been covering a bit whether we should use the cloud or not. I had some questions about that, but I think we've been going through them. Um, I'm interested in the whole idea of uh, platform engineering, right? Uh, also because I'm working on that. So the idea here being that you don't just give the tools or the building blocks to the developers directly. You just don't tell them, here is an account on AWS, go and figure it out yourself. 
or here is a Kubernetes cluster, go and figure it and figure it out. You provide them a way which is which makes sense for them, um, so that they can deploy them th those things there, right? So that they get sort of like that serverless experience as much as possible, um, and you take care of this underlying layer. Um, but of course, this this might depend with like different um, different company sizes and different levels of maturity. So so I want to discuss the topic of like how much should an end developer, let's say a guy that is developing something directly for a client, how much should that guy be working with the cloud directly or working with the server directly, or whether there should be an abstraction in between uh, that they should be using? That's a, that's a hard question. It's a really hard question, yeah. <laughs> sure. But, but that, that would definitely also be depend on the, both the context, right, and, and what they're working on and, 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 and stuff like that, right? So... But but yeah, I would definitely say that 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 in some respects it it well depends on what will give the best productivity, uh, what because the productivity environment for that developer, right? Isn't that isn't that kind of like what what platform engineering in my head is is all about, right? Is, is getting is getting that both good development experience, but also getting good productivity, right? So so that abstraction layer should probably be somewhere in between where they can. Where they can get going, but also uh, keeps on guardrails up, right? Or yeah, correct me if you're thinking differently. No, I'm afraid. Uh, no, no, makes sense. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a hard question. I think it, it it goes back a lot of who you got on your team. Um, I like the team to be as capable of doing as much as they can on their own, but it also requires you have people to do that. Um, so, so if you have somebody that really understands service, then let them do the whole thing. Let them set up the, the production environment if you can get that. But you also have developers that definitely don't like to do this. Um, and for them, it is not really an option. So I think I really like the whole idea of, of that you, you would, I just, I'm old school, so I'm just calling it ops, that, that you try to, to enable the developers as much as possible. So you kind of like help them help themselves. But also figure out where do you need to step in. Sometimes you, you get if we go back to the managed database, we can give them that, um, and then they can can play around. And then something really crazy happens, and they have no clue. That might be where you have to step in as an option. See, hey, okay, there's happening something stuff deep down below, and it's crazy. You don't need to worry about it. But on the other hand, if they can do that, if they can go in and 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 figure out this or help you with it, it's it's really awesome. Um, but I think one requirement I would make no matter what is that the developers, they need to be able to help you debug stuff in the production environment. Not necessarily know all the details, but if you have an issue in your production, they need to be able to, to, to really um, help you, yeah, whoever is, is trying to solve this and be, uh, be uh, really active in, in, in solving these. Um, the worst thing is you have some developers yet working on my local machine is your problem, and you're just going to get nowhere. You're going to have meetings forever, and it takes forever to solve. If you have the other one, it probably takes five minutes. But then let me let me elaborate on that a bit, right? Because if a developer needs to help you debug, but you're still debugging as the ops person, it's three in the morning, systems are down, right? Someone needs to react to this. Um, are you calling both people then? Sure. I mean, it's but but I'm also really really onto the whole functional teams thing. It's not. I mean, your job as a developer is not just to make some code that works in, in your local environment. We're here to to deliver a product. We're here to to help some people with something, and we're all in together. So so we we kind of chip, and that's also where it gets for me at least gets really fun to do software because suddenly it, it it's not just me doing some personal nerdy stuff. 
we are team doing stuff, accomplishing stuff. We 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 bleed together and we celebrate together. That's where the fun begins. And I think it's important, no matter what, that people know if you do something that doesn't work, we're going to call you up in the middle of the night. Not that we're going to shoot you or anything, <laughs> but we're going to call you up yeah. and we're going to help if it's important yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree there. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I also agree with this with this idea of like, you build it, you own it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's also the way it should go, right? Um, it's just that once again, once that systems scale in complexity, right? I think that you need some help there. And ideally that help, the way I see it, should hopefully not be the operations guy sitting next to you and then chipping in like what you are not capable of doing it because it's too technical or whatever. No. Like to me, that's where like there should be an abstraction. Like, if you as a developer cannot take care of the whole thing because it's way too complex and you still need to understand like your domain of whatever you're doing, we do payments, <coughs> so of course our devs still need to, need to understand that. Then in that point, I think that you need an abstraction, right? So that yeah, yeah. you can still own yeah. what you build. You can do it, you know, all the way through and then you can like, you know, develop and test and have observability on it. And, and you own all of that because each of those pieces is simplified in this case through, um, through a platform. Um, but obviously some of those platform blocks could just be something that you buy also that you get from a, from a public cloud, which at the end of the day, it's also a massive platform. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, but, but it's also, if, if you have a breakdown, it's because the firewall is down and something yeah. goes wrong in the, of course you shouldn't involve the developers and they shouldn't really care what happening with the firewall, but it, you might still have a firewall issue and you don't know as an op you don't really know what the issue is yeah then it's really important that you can get a hold of the developers and they can say okay i can see it's because i can't talk to this resource yeah which is a new thing yeah. that maybe we didn't get it over and then you're still able to actually because you know more than you code you actually know how how networks work and yeah. not like in a profound or deep level but you know enough to, to be able to say but it's because you can't talk to this or this drive is failing yeah. or, or one out of ten this goes wrong this file is missing or, or whatever you have i think it's extremely no matter what you do you need to have some people on your team that can work on that level yeah but what, I, what i'm saying here is like let's say an example like that happened right suddenly your application cannot communicate to something else if you have a page where you can see a log that is telling you like hey cannot reach this endpoint or mm. whatever then you probably can debug that yourself as a developer, right? And then you don't need to involve the other person and vice versa. I mean, if it's like whatever, something is broken deep down in the cluster, then probably you don't need to bother the dev because that might as well be the, the ops person, right? So having that. The, the funny thing with the, um, when you call people, developers up in the middle of the night because something is broke, is, is down, is that they really, really quickly learn to put something in the lock where the ops people can just see, oh, I can't contact this. And then they can debug it themselves and they can be sleeping. That's one of the really good thing about, about waking people up. When it becomes your problem, you take care of it. Yeah. Um, and it also goes for the others. I mean, it's, yeah. If, if something hurts, make it, make it hurt. So people would make sure that, uh, that, that they fix it in a broader way instead of just saying, yeah, but it's not really my problem that, that I'm feeling this hard this, with, with useless lock information because I'm not in ops. Yeah. Okay. Or the other way around. What do you think, Asper? In, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really follow the, the first uh, from, from where, from where we were going. Yeah. So I kind of just got that. Uh, okay. No worries. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, just just a note for the listeners, if it seems like the conversation maybe split up a bit there, we just had a few technical difficulties, so hopefully <laughs> it's going smooth now. Um, I think one way to summarise that that point in particular um, was was that Laos over here 
he's not not afraid to to call up his employees. Yeah. You know, we 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 win together, we win together, we bleed together, but we don't shoot our employees, yes. and we move on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that's the gist of it, really. Um, I, I mean, again, you guys were great back and forth conversation on that one. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add on that last before we move on? Well, maybe about the shooting people. <laughs> I mean, if you wake people up, it's, it's of course that there's something that broke. Nobody do that on purpose. So we need to get it fixed. But you shouldn't be like an idiot and say, hey, you still need to, to meet in at eight or something, whatever. I mean, it's a team effort. So when you call up people, of course, it's 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 a team thing and not I'm punishing you to do it. Let's get through it and let's make the world function as, as good as possible with everybody being a positive part of the team. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. Don't punish people for, for doing their best. Sure, for sure. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully you can implement some kind of uh, some kind of garbage, right? That doesn't have to in- involve the people waking up at uh, 3 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's usually what happens by itself when you do that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's how I implemented it when I had to yeah, yeah be woken up. Yeah. Yeah. Gasper, do you have a question for us or a statement? If so, just give some contact behind it for the listeners too. Uh well actually the the the, the my my kind of statement slash uh, question was the one earlier in terms of the, the whole serverless thing where 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 the gospel thing and all that. So I really I really enjoyed the the yeah, the the discussion on that, and and following that uh, further, how how uh, maybe how are uh, the the guys also the other guys in here thinking about in terms of team structures um, and 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 this whole cloud thing? Are are they structuring things the same as they would normally uh, would, or are there any kind of uh, team structures that kind of uh, that kind of shifts uh, when we're talking uh, cloud versus non cloud? Or yeah. Yeah, I'm um I'm a big fan of the the book Team Topologies. Uh, I'm not sure if, if you are uh, familiar with it, but essentially it's a book that is now like four or five years old, um, by uh, Matthew Skelton and uh, Manuel Paish. and what they describe is like essentially different type of teams and the interaction between them, right? So they call it something like the streamlined team would be. The typical developer team, right? Like I say, the ones that should own everything from development till it gets to to production, mm-hmm. and then around them there are some other types of teams, uh, such as, for example, a platform team, which would build something that then this streamlined team consumes as a service internally. That is right. So, mm-hmm. so the team doesn't have to be there all the time. They also have something called the enabling team, which would be a team that is mostly, well working with these uh, streamlined teams um, like simultaneously. Um, and then they also define something called complicated subsystem team. Um, so I like that idea of like separating concerns and then giving developer teams uh, like a logical area to work on, not necessarily a technical one, but a real one, like say payments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a business area, if that makes sense. And then to cater for that, you need that team to like, again, be able to do everything else. You can do that by having different types of profiles in the team, which I think it's it's interesting. So not only pure developers, but also people that are a bit more into into DevOps or a bit more into testing, maybe. Um, So that the team is uh, able to do everything, even if not every individual can. Uh, but I think that also a way of empowering them to do all of that, even if they are not experts, is by offering these internal uh, platforms. Cool. Yeah. And in terms of that, how 
how far how far or how 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 far would you build also take in maybe the product product guys and stuff like that in terms of that yeah well that's a very good point uh i i do think that i mean if you are exposing your platform internally you should also treat it as a product i'm not yeah, sure if that's yeah. if that's what you meant but yeah you yeah, should have yeah, both that but it could also be something that also maybe uh, maybe not just internal facing right at some point yeah for the external stuff, yeah, of course. That there should also be like product, uh, like people from the product area, yeah, owning the different uh, aspects of it. Yeah, I um, I don't really like, and I don't think you should structure stuff differently because you're in the cloud. Um, okay. But you still need those teams that you talked about because you still need somebody who knows how stuff works. And if you're not in the cloud, you also need somebody who actually knows the the networking in, in your data set and all of that. But it's just just more or less where you put your money. So I don't think the structure should be dictated whether you're cloud or not. Um, or not. Um, it, it basically is what do you need and, and what kind of abstraction, especially depending on the complexity. I'm in a startup. It's pretty simple what we do. But I could imagine what you guys do here in Banking Circle is probably um, you would need more than a dude that can develop and, and set up a certain. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so, so I think that's really it's your needs that you dictated and, and where you can kind of hide stuff. I mean, as a developer, I really don't care about the switches in the server room. Mm. Uh, and I really shouldn't. Um, regarding your, your question on, on the product people, I've, again, I'm all in for, uh, for functional teams. So what I've done in the past is I actually made, I've made a whole team where you have both the developers um, and we also put the product person in, in the team. Yeah. And I actually fought really hard for not being for them not to be, be called product managers or owners or anything because they're just a part of the team, just as, as the rest of them. There's nobody that owns something. Of course, they, their specialty is, is know what the customer needs and all of that and how it should work and, and, and how what, what problem we have. Um, just as the backend that knows a lot about how we store the data and do that and the front end, what happens in the browser. But for, but for me, it, it really it worked extremely well that we just put them in a joint team and they had to work together with each other. And actually, a lot of times, sometimes when you have a product manager, they go and say, hey, I want this radio button here. And, and that's just how it should be. And you have a front end that say, yeah, but I could actually do this. This would be a lot smarter. Or this would be extremely hard to do. And then they could come up, but but they have to do it. Where we when we have the team, he can be. This is really hard, but I can just do it like this. And the product person would just be like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, it doesn't matter." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or even come up with better suggestions because the product dude thought this was hard. He's like, "Hey, we can just uh, connect these automatically," and and then you just see the light goes up in his eye. That worked, but it's again back to the the whole thing that you have a joint team that that work together and fight together and win together. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And also with the ops people, I mean, if, if you have a, a product, uh, an area um, that is big enough for, for whatever reason to support an ops, ops person, it could be that you use some really special hardware in, in some kind of limit area, then put them in the team, let them sit together, let them work together. Um, it could also be that you just have an, uh, have an ops person that's kind of dedicated to multiple teams and help them out. And so they really know each other and they can say, hey, I have this, uh, or maybe even some, some database uh, guru um, that you don't need a needs team, but but when you have something that's just too slow, you can ask him and then he just spit out all his, his wise words. Um, but I really think make teams, even though some people might be part-time, but make them a part of the team and feel their team and they kind of have, have one purpose that, that is separated. I think, uh, I mean, obviously that sounds very well, right? But the, the thing here <laughs> is like what happens when you cannot afford that, right? And then, because I mean, every team needs to care about like, obviously testing their things, reliability. They need to care about security and compliance. 
They need to care about uh, well efficiency. They need to care about cost, right? And then of course about like yeah, actually delivering the features to the customer. And it is not in every team that you can put suddenly like six different profiles so that each team has their own ops guy, the security so, guy, no. the networking guy, and all of these, right? So at some point the the interesting things to me comes there, right? How do you build a cross-functional team that can do everything? Even when they, maybe they have a person that is a bit into networking, but not really a networking engineer. And and, and how do you support that right then from another team or by upskilling that person so that they really can can contribute more in their area? Um, that's where it gets interesting. Yes, I agree. And also complicated. Yeah. Um, especially <laughs> when, I mean, either you have a team, two teams that need to interface to each other, or you have like like a talk about more like a, a shared resource, or maybe you just just like yeah maybe we don't have this SQL guru that's that's accessible, so we just have to access that that accept that the program is is just running slower. I mean that's yeah, also that's a possibility. I'm, I'm in the startup world. We definitely don't have all the resources we would like to have, um, so we just have Never. to make do. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, but but it is it's exactly where it's getting interesting. Um, I can recommend the the book Team of Teams. Uh, it's about the army thing in the, the yeah, it's, it's an American general talking about how he restructured the anti-insurgency uh, effort the Americans had. Um, and he's talking about a lot of how to get these teams to work together and in a lot of different ways. And also why it's much smarter than um, than being there while the people you want to target is there and not come with the whole army the day after. And what was the what was the key takeaway in that one? Well, basically, it, it's it's. It goes from from title team of teams. People have to, you have to have teams that works together with, with other teams that that everybody works together mm-hmm. instead of having this strict structure where everything has to go up top and down and then everything is too late. Yeah, like he has this quote that that he's gonna wake up in the middle of the night because they want to do a missile strike and he's just gonna say yes because he doesn't know anything. I mean, it's the people that come to him that has all the knowledge. So why should you say? I mean, and he has to trust them anyway. Yeah. Um, so and there's a lot of these things breaking it down. So you have small competent teams that can react fast and agile, kind of like we know from, from the IT world, um, instead of having these huge, uh, humongous, slow, um, yeah. So pushing the decision toward the knowledge. Exactly. Exactly. And make people work together. Yeah. They have this big talk about, about drones that they're not really accessible. Uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's some years also gets the big reapers or whatever. Um, and then when a team had that in the, in the field, they would not let go of it because it's so rare that they had it. But when they kind of got into this, they understood that when they could talk to each other, they could actually not really bargain, but they understood that if they let go of their drone time sometimes because somebody needed it, then the odds of them getting it, getting it when they really need it would be much higher. And then that's, that's actually where all the magic started happening, where they, went to a few rates a month to to be able to do it every day or multiple times a day. Yeah, and it, it comes back to that, the key word in the podcast title, which is, you know, synergize. And that's what you all are touching on here um, to a T. A question I have is that you guys mentioned, you know, some of the issues in terms of resources and that kind of thing. Is there any other, you know, as a in layman terms, for someone like me who's not from a technical background, is there any other kind of issues when trying to synergize the two? Well, I guess that there's knowledge, right? Uh, you know, speaking like like the cloud, and even if we get it as like either your server or the public cloud or whatever, you need to know what you're doing, right? Um, and then there's a point where, like I say in the beginning, it's supposedly easy. It can get complex once that you put several things together. So 
how do you know how to do that? And if you don't, how do you learn, right? Mm. Um, and if someone else in your company knows and you don't, how do you learn from them and all of that, right? So there's definitely an aspect of like, okay, that's a tool out there or a tool of tools or, I mean, yeah. yeah. How do yeah, you also, use yeah, yeah, also making sure that you don't kind of miss uh, what can say the acquired knowledge, right? Uh, when, pe when people are kind of, you know, harnessing whatever people have now learned before trying to, to kind of distill that down, right? So you don't miss that if uh, people go to work somewhere else or, or stuff like that, right? So, yeah, that's also both upskilling and keeping that kind of like that source of truth within, within the company company uh, playroom, right? And I have another question for, for the two startup guys with us. Um, is it difficult to acquire that knowledge from a startup? I mean, I'm sure pe you have people at, at Banking Circle who, who've been there and done that, but the likes of you two guys, is it hard for you to, to find that knowledge because you are, it is down to you to have that knowledge essentially? Yeah, it's. I don't know if it's hard to 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 maybe find that knowledge per se, but it it's hard to 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 get that knowledge and then and then also cross reference that with the right context, right? Because one thing is knowing exactly those things, but also knowing that in the context of whatever problems we're solving within our company confines, right? That's that's kind of like where where things can be things can be be really uh, be really hard because uh, somebody who just gets the technical ones but doesn't really get what we are doing maybe on a on the more company side of things can can still have hard way of um, of kind of like getting that getting that ball rolling and, and the other way around uh, that would be a, a tremendous uh, um, uh, loss of resources if somebody really gets that uh, kind of you know uh, if there isn't resources to keep them on on the team or, or some some other things right maybe they find something else that's more shiny or something like that yeah okay. So that's yeah. that's always that's always as a startup kind of like in play, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and also that I mean, you don't necessarily need to get an outside dude to do something, but you still need to find the hours to figure out what is broken and what do I need to learn. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, I've in web development, I'm pretty set. I know a lot of what's working, and I can really fast acquire new knowledge or whatever how we do the smaller stuff. Um, but if we're talking about AI. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, and that would take me a long time to to actually grasp. And it, it really annoys me because usually I can just go read a few articles, try spend a lot of spend a few nights, and then you had something that that's working. And yeah, so so it is. It's yeah, it's hard because you can't usually just can't hire people. You need to figure it out on your own yeah. to a good enough level. But I also think good enough is, is is a thing that that you forget a lot in software development in general. I mean, a lot of what we do is taking some data from a database, showing it, and maybe put it in, in an altered version back to a database. That's by far the most we do. You don't need to have somebody that can build their own uh, database to, to do this stuff. I mean, it's, it's so a lot of software companies, they, it's not really the skill set, at least not in, in, the, in the startups, unless it's the core business. Um, I don't think you, you need a lot of really specialized knowledge a lot, but you still need to know how to do efficient stuff and... Yeah, yeah. If it, yeah, then efficiency becomes a lot, a lot uh, much, yeah, much higher, higher value. <laughs> uh, yeah, if somebody can be efficient more than just doing it to one hundred ten percent, right? Because yeah, good enough is often by far enough. Totally yeah. on that one loss here. Yeah, yeah and, he, and especially if you're architecture, your software are correct, you can solve a lot of problems just by. I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter how fast your 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 query is. 
but if you architect you, you, the ways you could just run more queries, okay, that's a bad example because databases is hard to do, but it's uh, hard to scale. But but in a lot of areas, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have to really perform stuff fast if you can just break it down into to smaller pieces. Then can individually they can be slower and more inefficient. But in total, you get a faster response because basically you do it in parallel or something like that. Um, and I think that's really that's where architecture is extremely important that you kind of allow people to be more lazy and, and not have to perform as as good a level. You can afford slack if you architecture correctly. Yeah, for sure. I also for think sure. it's. It's at some point a matter of like sort of mastering the basics, then taking it from there, right? Because I mean, there's way too much happening. It's impossible to keep up, right? Like uh, there's like lots of services being developed, lots of open source tools being created and, and you cannot learn them all. So at some point, like you need to have like your core concepts there. Then maybe you get one tool or another one. Maybe you're picking the not fancy one or not the one that most people know or not the one that I would pick. But it does the job. And you know what you have to do because you know those core concepts, right? Then you get it done. Yeah. And it's a journey, right? Maybe in a year you realize that you can optimize here or there. Yeah. And it also goes with servers and, and cloud stuff. With a few mm -hmm. years, uh, some years, not a few years ago, uh, microservice became a really big thing. And it, there's a lot of good stuff in it. But a lot of people, they just end up doing a lot of services. So suddenly you have, have to have a lot of containers that need to have a network to talk with each other. And then you put in all the versioning. Um, which version is this running what and what is calling and then you suddenly added a lot of complexity if you're and, and often people did it for nothing because they just thought it was good to have really small pieces all over I mean if you do it uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of microservices but just be aware that you're also adding complexity and make sure you do it in the right way and, and in, in the right kind of like corners um, so yeah, maybe yeah, you like yeah, the, the context, uh, the context of those services needs to be really like, it has to have a lot of sense right so you don't just Break something up just to do it right here, yeah. because then you, you're going to have to have a lot of a lot of documentation there on top just to have an idea of what what does what. Yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. yeah. It has to be really loosely coupled to put it in a microservice. But you have again, yeah. we're talking about this this architectural thing that if you structure it right, it makes sense. Um, but on the other hand, when you have a monolith, if you have something like uh, the last uh, was a, a place uh, some time ago, um, they had this. It was really simple. You just took some from form from people applying for something on the web, and then it just more or less saved it in a database. But suddenly this has like an internal memory, actual database. Um, so suddenly we couldn't scale it. And we actually did. And then we had some other problem with stuff calling back and didn't know about the stuff because it was the wrong service, uh, the wrong server. And that's also where you, you need to be, be smart on your architecture. If, if you don't do these in-memory things, then it's easier to scale. At least you're aware that, that they should not, I mean... You, you can have in-memory stuff with stuff that, that doesn't, yeah, you can just fetch on another server or whatever. Um, but, but that's where architecture really is, really, really is king. And I think it goes away all the, from, I mean, from basically how you do your service to, to how you write your code. Okay. Yeah. And that's why back to the developers need to be able to debug stuff so they can sit with the ops people and understand doing an internal memory database is a really, really bad idea. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and yeah. and something you you briefly touched on there, Lars, was was AI. Yeah, I mean, we we've not got all night, but is there anything that that you'd like to go into? Maybe a rabbit hole surrounding DevOps, AI, cloud AI, that kind of thing. Is there anything that interests you or any of you guys at the minute with with AI? 
So my problem is um, I know ChatGPT, of course, and it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but what's the alternative to that? And especially because it's hosted in the States, so GDPR comes in and says, you can't really do it unless you do it to private persons and you, yeah. So it's, so it's extremely hard to use and you don't really have an alternative yet. So you kind of have to use it. Um, and what about if you want to host something on your own? How do you do that? I mean, it, it's, and, and of course you could do some specialized AI, then that's probably not too crazy to do. But when you have these, I mean, one of the things we really like to do in, in Heinebo is when somebody writes in, in like the community, you know, there's always that, this post about, oh, a dog uh, made, a, made a dump in, in my, uh, yeah, in front of my house again. And they're really angry and everybody else is just, oh, that again. And we like it, like to, to pick up, pick that up and say, hey, um, maybe you can rephrase it. So, hey, of course, I, I took the, the leftovers and put it in, in, in my trash can. You could just do that and just just please be aware of whatever. And often it's just somebody that forgot a bag and, 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 and life happened. Uh, that's actually nice persons. Um, so, we, so we try to, but maybe people that are not that good at writing and can say, hey, okay, this is not a clear post. Maybe we can rewrite it like this. And it doesn't matter that, that it's it's that you can see it's, it's machine-written when you're going from not being able to be understood to actually get your message across. Um, and the only thing, I mean, it, well, we're looking at something else, but, but chat GPT is basically the king of this right now. And we can't really host it on our own. We can't find something in Europe that can host it. There's not a lot of other providers that actually have something similar. Um, I think that that's, that's our biggest problem with, with AI at the moment. Okay. And I need something relatively plug and play because I also need to learn AI, and that is um, <laughs> that's all yes. the ball game, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just need good enough. I don't yeah. need to be an expert, yeah. Yeah. and that is hard to, to do with, yeah. with AI right now. I think, yeah. but it will come for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think there's a parallelism also from like these commercial models. So if you build something on them, you still have vendor blocking, right? Same as if you would build something on like a platform as a service that you find on a, on a public cloud, right? Whereas if you can host the model yourself, and maybe even if you have control over like the data it was trained on or, or, or mm. whatever is there, then you're free to like uh, play with it a bit more, right? But then as you say, then you need to know AI then, or at least as of today, then you need to know much more so that, so that you can build that. Um, so I think that we'll probably see also some open source tools helping in that direction and making it easier to like do it yourself without having to be an AI expert. Yeah. But at the same time, we are also going to be seeing, and we are already seeing a lot of like more and more cloud-based offerings of AI, such as ChatGPT, but also Copilot. Now it's not just Copilot on, on Virtual Studio Code, right? Now it's Copilot on PowerPoint. Yes. And, and yeah, yeah, now yeah. you have it everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, we are going to see much more of this, uh, and then hopefully you'll still keep your choice of like, if you want, especially when you're building a commercial product on top of it, right? You should have the... Um, yeah, the option to do it yourself or to host it in a provider that you can that you can trust. Yeah. But do do you guys feel as though um, if everybody's start well, if ChatGPT, well, everybody is using it. You know, I look at my LinkedIn now, and it seems as though everyone's messages are the same. <laughs> like, and I, I'm 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 guilty of it too. Don't get me wrong. Like, you'll see my LinkedIn posts, and and it's. A lot of it's like this guy's obviously used ChatGPT for that. So, <laughs> what, what's kind of how do we get around that though? I don't know. If it, I think it would come as a natural evolution. Yeah. Um, with how people using it, I know you can. Of course, you can just do do. I mean, if if you're not 
a, a great writer. I'm, I'm not a great writer. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a really big help because suddenly I can can come across much better. Even and I know somebody that is much better writer would would, would outperform me or chat GPT. Um, so on them, we kind. I think that's where we are at the moment. Um, but if you really want to use chat GPT, I know it's much more like using it as an assistant and, and bounce ideas from mm-hmm. the back. Mm-hmm. And then awesome yeah. posts. And that that okay. is something that is also really great, right? You can you can really utilize that for some of that some of that back and forth on all kinds of problems and that's that's definitely something that that can help you with with a lot of stuff yeah yeah like make this make this linkedin post sound like it's not being written by chat gpt <laughs> it's kind of funny yeah. because it, it with, with cloud a lot of not check people they have this idea you use cloud everything is going to be much easier better and cheaper um, and they don't realize realize that what they're essentially doing is just they're outsourcing some some functions to somebody else and they're paying them for them. And that could be good and bad depending on the situation. Then it's kind of the same thing with 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 ChatGPT. If you just make some, if you think it's going to save the world, it's not. If you're just going to throw something at it, of course it's not going to be fantastic. Um, it's it's kind of this effort thing that is, that if you know if you put you need to put effort in to get a good result. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. No, there's definitely a lot in, in that spectrum also that's gonna be there's definitely gonna be some some guys specializing in getting the most out of just working with and, and working with the the prompting and the interface right stuff. So so yeah, that's definitely also something that's that's uh, that's that's coming up. Also I'll I'll bet that if you is now some of the some of the really really efficient uh, developer kind of guys, those who can who can ask the right questions uh, uh, on the right way to those kind of helpers, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, thanks for you know humoring me on that that one, guys. That's just a bit of a selfish question I wanted to know. Like, as the how, how do we make it so it's not everybody's looking the same, and you know because everybody does use it, and it's it's evident. Um, but yeah, I appreciate the insight on that one. Is there is there any other you know topics, any other insights, any like anybody you'd like to to bring up? No. Well, perfect. In that case, I think it's a great time to. I actually think with with the chat community, remember, good enough is good enough. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, next time I, I write a LinkedIn post, you know, even advertising in this by this podcast, um, I'll, I'll I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, just before we wrap things up, I'm going to have to give a massive thanks to to all of you guys who joined me on on the panel today. Big thanks for for love for traveling all the way for over forty minutes you traveled. Big thank you to, to you, Casper, for, for joining us online and still being so seamless. And also a big thanks to you, Juan, uh, for actually allowing us yeah, to pleasure. use this space. Use this space here at Banking Circle. It's, it's been really fun um, and a bit of a different experience for me as well. So, yeah, brilliant episode, guys. Thanks for all the guests and, and thanks for listening.